Hi everyone, it's Casper here. We've got some fabulous live shows coming up that we hope you'll be able to join us for. We're in Cambridge, Massachusetts on October 2nd, Washington DC on November 7th, Chicago, Illinois, where my uncle was born, on November 21st, and St. Louis on December 19th. We hope to see you there. Chapter 21, The House Elf Liberation Front. Harry, Ron, and Hermione went up to the Owlery that evening to find Pigwidgeon, so that Harry could send Sirius a letter telling him that he had managed to get past his dragon unscathed. On the way, Harry filled Ron in on everything Sirius had told him. I'm Casper Terkyle. And I'm Vanessa Zoltan. And this is Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. So, Casper, we are halfway through our crowdfunding time. Woohoo! We just got together the other day to start to fulfill the crowdfunder orders, and it's so fun to see all of your names and just how supportive you all are. So we just want to say a massive, massive thank you to the hundreds of people who have already supported us. It means so much to feel you all with us in this journey. We're so grateful. Vanessa, tell us a story. So growing up, my best friend Kim slept over a lot. And whenever she slept over, I would subject her to whatever my current favorite movie was. For years, we watched the Doris Day film Pillow Talk. You're welcome, Kim. And then somewhere around 11 or 12 years old, we switched to the movie Empire Records. And by we, I mean I. I was obsessed with Empire Records, which for those of you who haven't seen it, it is about This awful man who's trying to shut down a record store and the spunky staff that makes it impossible for him to do so. Damn the man, save the empire. Incredible film. The real reason I love the movie, though, is two words. Ethan Embry. Ethan Embry played this dorky kid named Mark. Mark was, like, awkward and passionate about music and... He danced to the Dire Straits song, Romeo and Juliet, which I love. And I just, like, I was in love with Ethan Embry in this movie. He was definitely my first serious celebrity crush. So that night, Kim and I get into bed, and we had, you know, our little sleeping arrangement. We had a trundle bed for her, and we were laying there talking. And I said to her, the thing that I want most in the entire world is to meet Ethan Embry. And Kim looked at me and she said, with complete earnestness, I believe that you will. And it's been 22 years. And she definitely does not remember saying that to me. But I remember it. And I remember that really being the moment where I understood what faith was. And I just felt so loved in that moment that she loved me so much she could not imagine a world in which I didn't get my, like, heart's wish. And I just was reminded of that moment while reading this chapter through the theme of faith when Ron says to Harry, you could win this thing. Because I think that it's the same kind of faith. It's faith that someone who you love is, like, so great that they can do whatever they want. It's faith that the world is capable of rising up to meet the people you love. And then it's also the knowledge that at the end of the day, if fate needs an extra push as a best friend, you'll put in that little bit of, like, extra push. And so I'm really excited to talk to you about what faith is and what it means. It's a huge word, and I don't think we always know what it means when we talk about it. So I'm excited to 
start to figure that out with you today. I had no idea what Empire Records was or Ethan Embry. And so I just looked him up and you still follow him on Twitter. Oh, yeah. The whole point of this podcast is for one of our listeners to be like, I know Ethan Embry. He's my stepdad. (laughs) And make the introduction. (laughs) Kim has faith in me and it just hasn't come true yet. Yet. There is still time. And I love that idea of faith as being this mix of trust in the universe and also the practical nudging. So I'm excited to dig into that in this chapter, see what we can learn. But first, it's time to test our memories of what happened in the chapter, the 30-second recap. And I believe it's my turn to go first on the House Elf Liberation Front. Are you ready? I'm ready. On your mark, get set, go. So in this chapter, Harry is victorious. He writes this letter to Sirius. He's friends with Ron again. Hooray, hooray. There's big, like, cream pies and delicious things in the Gryffindor common room. And then they ask the twins, like, how do you get down there? Because, you know, want to see the kitchens. Or, well, no, Hermione has plans to, like, recruit the House Elves for her liberation efforts and they go down there and turns out you tickle a pair and the swing you know the door opens and they see Winky and um, Dobby and it's all very exciting Winky's crying Dobby happy and lots of food and they make a nice cup of tea which is lovely and they have a chat tickle a pair (laughs) tickle a pair and the door opens all right Vanessa your turn are you ready do you have faith in me not really (laughs) but it doesn't matter if I have faith in you because Kim has faith in you that's true I don't need you Casper (laughs) here we go three Two, one, go. The big thing that you missed was that Rita Skeeter is illegally on Hogwarts grounds, and she's just, like, hanging around Hagrid's hut, and Hagrid is like, I thought you weren't allowed here, and she's like, what? Did I hear that? And then she sort of, like, talks Hagrid into giving her an interview, which is, like, something that we're a little bit worried about. Also, we see Fred and George's um, inventions a little bit more. Neville eats one of the things, and he plumes, and um, and Hermione is now willing to sneak into the kitchens, which is, like, rule-breaking for the sake of liberation, which I'm into. Nice. Thank you. Yes. It's a canary cream. It's like custard creams. Poor Neville. So, Vanessa, we're looking at the theme of faith. You mentioned Ron having faith in Harry, but where else did you see it in the chapter? Well, I think let's just jump right into the kitchens because we see... I'm always ready to (laughs) jump into the kitchen. (laughs) Right? So I think that we see two different faiths here, and I'm wondering how they're different or if they're different. Mm. So Dobby has this unfeeling faith in Harry. Harry as a force for good in the world. But then we also see that Winky has that same faith in Crouch. And to some extent, Winky and Dobby are set up to be foils for each other in this chapter, right? Dobby is actively pursuing liberation and has never been happier. Winky was liberated against her will and is miserable about it. And so I'm wondering if their faiths are different or if we see them as the same, which would make Dobby's faith in Harry one of subservience as well. That's fascinating. I haven't thought about whether their faiths are the same or not. I mean, certainly there is some level of subservience, right? There is a a desire to help Harry in any way possible. He makes sure that tea and biscuits are ready. You know, can I give you something? So there's, there's a desire to serve, which could come out of loyalty, right? Harry has freed him. He owes Harry. But it feels like it's more than that. I think what feels different is the agency that Dobby feels, you know, Dobby sought out Harry in book two before he'd been liberated. There was a desire to do good that went beyond his official role. 
which even lingers here, right? Dobby still punishes himself when he says that the Malfoys are bad wizards. So it's amazing how deeply ingrained that is. While Winky still feels lost completely, her identity was so based on this subservient role in this particular household, she can't even take on another subservient role in another household. She's not being paid at Hogwarts, right? She's still in service, but is completely lost without that relational connection. So it feels like the the agency is the key distinctive piece. Right. And Winky didn't have agency in terms of her relationship with the Crouches. So it does feel like her faith in Barty Crouch is this unquestioned faith, whereas Dobby's faith in Harry is in part a faith in the story that he heard, you know, even before he met Harry, which is why he reached out to Harry. But then Harry freed him, so it's based on some sort of proof. I just think that Dobby is still being oppressed even though he's free and even though he has agency. And I'm wondering, you know, if this fits into our faith metaphor because they are constantly hearing this subservience line. And Dobby, even though he has agency, he still cannot shake this profound subservience. He wants to serve Harry. He wants to serve Dumbledore so much he cannot even conceive of making eight galleons a month and he can't even conceive of taking weekends off. So I feel like both for Dobby and Winky, I guess I'm coming down to like maybe their faiths aren't different. You know, Winky has this blind faith in like generational love for Crouch. She also loves him and has this chosen faith. And then Dobby has this blind faith in anyone who would bring down the Malfoys and also this chosen faith in Harry. So both Dobby and Winky in their own ways have faith you know, whether it's Mr. Crouch or Harry, it's about faith in the goodness or the, the righteousness of their intent and that they're, they're willing to direct their lives. I'm sure one of the reasons why Dobby came to Hogwarts because he knew that Harry was there. And so I think there's this trust in the goodness of someone. And the desire to be near it. Yeah. If you have faith in something, you want to live in reverence to it. Which is why it's so painful for Winky to be so far away from Barty yeah. Crouch. Imagine having, like, profound faith in something and not being allowed access to it. You know, I'm thinking of the Catholics during the reign of Elizabeth I in England, where you had these big wars between the Protestants and the Catholics, and you had Catholics build secret chapels in their homes, and kind of mass was said behind these fake walls. And I just imagine Winky with, like, a picture of Mr. Crouch, mm-hmm. maybe somewhere in a cupboard or something. I'm, You know, I'm thinking about the same thing within Judaism of times where Jews have had to go into hiding And it's interesting, right, because faith is the hardest thing to regulate. You can't tell someone not to pray. It's this completely interior thing. And yet you can rip someone from their rituals and their devotional life. So you can say, I will attack you if I see Shabbat candles in the window. I will attack you, Winky, if you try to come back into this house. But you can't stop someone from having faith. Like, Winky has been separated from her devotional life, but she still has faith. Faith, when people really ground their identity in their faith, it's unshakable. Right. And not all people are willing to die for their faith because it's not the central part of who they are, right? But sometimes people are killed for their faith, whether they, you know, want to base their identity on that or not. Right. In which case, we call it their faith, but it's their faith tradition, right? It's their faith culture. It's not their actual faith. 
So this is interesting about house elves. What if we saw the culture of house elfdom and its kind of subservience to the wizarding world? What if we saw it as a religion rather than like a species category? Because there's people like Dobby who are breaking that yeah. tradition, but others like Winky who really hold themselves to it. Right. Like Dobby's a reformer. Yeah. Yeah. He's like, I'm keeping this, but I want pay and I want a holiday. Yeah. And, you know, they say the difference between a religion and a cult is that a cult is something that you can't leave. Yeah. And Dobby, I think, has maybe moved house elfdom from a cult to a religion because he has proven that you can leave. You need a wizard to help you leave. Like Harry had to hand Dobby a sock, but sort of through organization, he has broken the tradition of it being a cult. And now it's become a religion. And he's trying to show people, no, no, there are ways to be religious, but not have it be oppressive. And you can choose what parts of how selfdom you love and get rid of the parts that are oppressive to you, right? I love Judaism, but there's a lot of gendered oppression built into Orthodox Judaism. And so it's a great freedom to me that I get to love my Judaism and leave large swaths of it behind, the parts that I would find oppressive. And so Dobby is trying to lead the way in that. I think it's so helpful to think of how selfdom as the metaphor for that as religion slash cult. I always try to put it on race because it's this conversation of slavery. But comparing it to slavery in the American South is just completely an insufficient metaphor for me. I feel the pull to do it, as I think a lot of readers of this text do, a lot of American readers of this text do. But it is just so inadequate in order to, like, try to wrap our heads around the American history of slavery that it's always frustrating to me. But thinking of it in terms of religion is super exciting to me. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text is brought to you by Quip. Harry Potter and the Sacred Text listeners, I don't want to scare you, but three members of the Not Sorry Productions team have recently lost a tooth. Now, none of this was because of bad brushing. It was because of accidents that happened. But I am concerned about people who love Harry Potter and their teeth. Quip's electric toothbrush can help you in your routine of keeping your teeth healthy and sparkling clean. The mirror mount for your Quip toothbrush puts brushing front and center in your bathroom, so you'll remember to bookend the day using your new brush. The built-in two-minute timer that pulses every 30 seconds to remind you when to switch sides and help you clean your whole mouth makes sure that you brush for the entire two minutes. The multi-use cover is amazing, it works as a stand, and also helps with sanitary reasons. Brush heads are automatically delivered on a dentist-recommended schedule of every three months for just $5. A friendly reminder as to when it's time to refresh and stay committed to your oral health. Please, this is a public service announcement from somebody who has all of her teeth and who loves a lot of people who have recently lost one tooth. Brush your teeth. Quip makes it easy and fun to brush your teeth, and that is why I love Quip and why it's perfect for getting back into a routine after the summer. Quip starts at just $25, and if you go to getquip.com slash Harry Potter right now, you can get your first refill pack for free. That's your first refill pack for free at G-E-T-Q-U-I-P dot com slash Harry Potter. My brother and sister-in-law have a fig tree, and it makes me sad because I live 3,000 miles away from the fig tree, and I love figs. I think they are like proof of a higher being. 
Now, I resent them less because due to Fleur's amazing Hanami scent, I get to smell like the fig tree. They make stunning, non-toxic perfumes and they list all of their ingredients online. You get a good scent made with clean ingredients. And the sample process is just good old fun. Here at Harry Potter and Sacred Text, we actually got to put together our own Fleur sample set filled with our favorite scents. So if you're not sure where to start, make sure that you check that out. And definitely try to smell like my brother and sister-in-law's fig tree with the Hanami scent. Then when I meet you, I'll love you more because you'll smell like home. Go to Fleur.com slash Harry Potter today to check out our curated sample set and get 20% off of your first custom Fleur sample set. That's P-H-L-U-R dot com slash Harry Potter to get your first three Fleur fragrance samples at 20% off. Fleur.com slash Harry Potter. So Casper, where else did you see this theme of faith? I was really thinking about how our faith is built around something. In the first paragraph, we see Harry kind of debriefing Ron, right? They haven't talked for so long. And he tells him all about what he learned about Karkaroff kind of sneaking around and that he's a Death Eater. And the text tells us, though shocked at first to hear that Karkaroff had been a Death Eater, by the time they entered the Owlery, Ron was saying that they ought to have suspected it all along. Now, this might just be Ron trying to ingratiate himself with Harry and join the fun. But I think it also has something to say about how quickly, at least Ron, and I think for a lot of us, our faith in something shifts. You know, for people who are not religious, it's easy for us to think, oh, I don't have a faith. But I think we all have faith in things, whether we name them or we don't. Yeah, whether we name them to ourselves or not. Right. Yeah, I mean, I had a student who really described himself as an atheist, and I was so surprised. I ran into him the day after the Trump election, and I was, like, in full grief mode, in shock. And he was like, hey, how are you? And I sort of looked at him like, the world ended yesterday. How are you? And he was like, I really think everything will be okay. And it was just so surprising to me because he's somebody who so aggressively described himself as somebody without faith. But I was like, oh, you have faith in, like, the goodness of the world Mm. or in the strength of our government to, like, withstand this. He had faith in something that I definitely did not. Well, and that's interesting you mentioned faith in the government because coming to America, I was shocked by how many flags there are everywhere and how kind of civil discourse is shaped by faith. In God We Trust is written on the money. There's all these kind of signs on public buildings which are built nearly like churches. The state is nearly worshipped. The Pledge of Allegiance to the flag, like where does that come from? It is one of the deep confusing ironies of my life that in England, the church is part of the state, and yet there's total separation of church and state. And in this country, there is technically separation of church and state, but we say, God bless America at the end of every major presidential speech. It is like so confusing. And that just shows up in a really interesting way in the books, because we have very little about religious behavior among students and among wizarding society. You know, they celebrate Christmas. There's a Yule ball. So there's hints here and there. There's some Christian scripture on headstones and things. So it feels like a very English context in the sense that, yes, Christianity is part of the background picture, but it's not really central to anyone's lives. We don't see students going off to pray, for example. There's no chapel every morning. But I think at Hogwarts, what everyone has faith in is Dumbledore. And so the question is, you know, what do they have faith in outside of the school? 
Well, and how isolating must it be for the students who don't necessarily have a ton of faith in Dumbledore? And I just wonder if that, to some extent, is why so many of the Slytherins so easily have faith in Voldemort's rise, because they can't have faith in Dumbledore for a variety of cultural reasons, or at least it's harder for many of them to. But I think that the instinct to have faith is a fairly natural one, which is why that so many dyed-in-the-wool atheists have such, like, hardcore faith in science. Right. I don't think it's possible to live without having faith in something. Yeah. and But I do think that it can be like the faith that my family will always love me. I don't think it has to be supernatural. I don't think it has to be this huge thing. Yeah. Ron has faith that his mom is going to send him another sweater that he'll give to Dobby. Like that's faith too. And we see that enacted when Ron leaves Harry and Hermione in book seven. He leaves just with full faith that there is always a place for him. There is always a home for him. And it's true. He, you know, finds a home at Bill and Fleur's. Ron's faith is absolutely in his family. And I think Hermione's faith is in knowledge. And yeah, at this point, Harry's faith is in Dumbledore. And we see where that leads him. So, Vanessa, this week's spiritual practice is florilegia. And to remind everyone, this is the practice where both of us choose a sparklet, a piece of text that kind of stood out from the page as we were reading it, and to put those two pieces of text in conversation with each other and to see what we can learn about the other's sparklet through our own and then more broadly about the whole chapter. So would you share, first of all, the piece of text that sparkled to you? Yes. He threw Pigwidgeon out of the window. Ooh. What about you? What sparkled? Dobby has been hoping and hoping. Oh. Say yours one more time. He threw Pigwidgeon out of the window. Dobby has been hoping and hoping. Ah. Uh. So why did you pick yours? I mean, in reading this chapter through the theme of faith, if you throw a bird out the window, there's like this absolute confidence that it can fly, which I just thought was really beautiful because Ron doesn't have a ton of faith in Pigwidgeon. He's constantly mocking Pig, as he calls him. And Pigwidgeon has just been given like a very heavy letter to carry. And I was just picturing how violent it is to be thrown out a window and how amazing it must feel to then just spread your wings and be able to fly. Well, and it takes him 12 feet. Like he falls for 12 feet (laughs) before he's able to fly. What about you? Why did you pick your sentence? I was so taken by this idea that Dobby had been looking for a job for like two years since he left Hogwarts last. And that just that sense of Dobby has been hoping and hoping. Like, I feel like that repetition of the word hoping gives us an insight into his inner voice to himself, this positive self-speak that he's probably developed to keep him going, to keep knocking on doors and sending in CVs, you know, and he's doing such a countercultural thing because he's showing up and he's always maintaining his dignity. He's always been clear about what he wants. You know, he wants to work, but he also wants to be paid. And it's such a tricky thing to be in a place of needing something from the world and so quickly to fall into a negative space in our own selves and our sense of self-worth. And I I just love that Dobby is holding on to this bigger truth of his own value. Yeah, it's really beautiful. I love Dobby. So now let's read them together. And I'll read mine first this time. 
Dobby has been hoping and hoping. He threw Pigwidgeon out of the window. I love that. Okay, couple things. First of all, Dobby is hoping in the same way that Ron is of throwing Pig out the window. But we're also seeing Harry's hope that this letter is going to find Sirius and that Sirius will be helpful to him in the next task. What else is happening? I also, when we read them together, it sounds like Dobby is throwing Pigwidgeon out of the window. So it's Dobby is hoping and hoping he threw Pigwidgeon out of the window. He's like just put a wish on Pigwidgeon and thrown him out the window to go do his bidding, which reminded me of just like the way that when you love someone, all of your successes are intertwined, right? So I do think that in part Dobby is hoping that anything that Harry wants is going to happen. When you love someone, their wishes are your wishes. And I love that there must be a whole world of stories between these magical creatures and elves, for example, that we never get to see. Oh, my God. I would love to read a romance novel between an elf and a wizard. Yeah. And now let's read the sentences in the other order. So he threw Pigwidgeon out of the window. Dobby has been hoping and hoping. Oh, God, you know what that reminds me of? Was when I fell off the pier. I broke both my legs. I just remember as I fell, and it was a 20-foot fall, so it was a significant distance. I was so present to that experience. Like, I was thinking as I was falling. I I thought, this is the end. I, I really did. I thought, this is how I'm, I'm going to die. And I felt fine about it. That was what was weird. Yeah. Gosh, even now my hands are sweating. But I'm just thinking of people who go skydiving, or if you even if you throw yourself into a challenge, not even physically, but like if you fully commit to something, yeah. that there is this super clear presence when you're just fully in the moment. Yeah. I love moments like that, the rare moments where you get to be like, and now I'm going to be brave. Yeah. The way that I always think about those moments is all I have to do is be stupid for five seconds and then it'll be too late. So I'm like, I just have to not think about it for five seconds and then I'll have jumped out of the airplane. I will have said I love you. I will have sent in the job application, right? And then it's too late. That's what Dobby did when he arrived in book two. Yeah, It was against the rules. It didn't make sense. He didn't know Harry, but he did it anyway. Yeah. It's just like you just got to be dumb for five seconds. Or have faith. I know. I like to say it in the bad way. <laughs> this week's voicemail is from Austin Buchholz. Hi, Vanessa and Casper. This is Austin from Kalamazoo, Michigan. Um, I've been away from the podcast for a little while. I am pretty far behind because... At the end of last year, I unfortunately lost my dad to cancer. And in the months since then, as I've been trying to make my way back into life and back to being a person again, I haven't been able to shake the feeling that I just am very disconnected from the people around me. It seems like in my friend groups and classes and in the coffee shops that I go to that I'm just looking at things um, in a very different way from everyone around me. And it hit me the other day that I think for the first time I'm understanding what it was like for Harry to see the Thestrals for the first time. To be looking at something that is very real and present in front of you and to have your friends to no fault of their own just be completely blind to it is honestly a really lonely place to be. And it's a really hard place to be because we're all just trying to be understood and to have people um, kind of kind of feel what we're feeling and be able to relate to us. And 
I, I guess, honestly, I have started to feel for Harry in a way that I haven't in all of my time with these books. Um, I've always kind of judged him for being a little too overdramatic and a little too angsty and, um, kind of playing the victim a lot. And now I think that I'm on the opposite end of that. And I think there's a lot of people who uh, want me to uh, be a little less angsty and dramatic about things. Um, I'm I'm really, I'm really feeling for him. I'm understanding how hard that is and how it really does sometimes just feel like there's a giant winged beast in the corner of the room that you just want somebody else to be able to see. And so I guess for me, this has just been a reminder that I'd like to share with everyone else um, to be a little bit more compassionate to the people around us and to our friends and to the characters in these books and understand that everyone's life experiences lead them to a different version of the truth. And just because it's not your truth doesn't mean that it's not real. Anyway, I just I just wanted to share those thoughts with you guys. Uh, this podcast has been really helpful and comforting lately and a really great place to turn to. And I've appreciated a lot. So thank you. Austin, thank you so much for your really beautiful voicemail. We are so, so sorry about your loss. And I would just say that grief takes as long as you need it to. And I have absolute compassion for your friends because I think we just want one another to be happy. And so it's hard to be around your friends when they're sad. But at the same time, they will be there for you at the other side of this, and you just need to go through what you're going through. This is still very new, and there's no right way to grieve and no right amount of time. So take your time and trust that the people around you will be there for you through this process. Vanessa, it's time for us to bless someone from the pages of this chapter, which I have to say is a really good chapter. <laughs> it's just really good. Who are you blessing this week? I'm going to bless Winky because I have worked jobs that I've hated and it is soul crushing, right? To get up in the morning and have nothing to look forward to about your day and just feel like you have to go through it anyway. And like Winky, I remember when I was at one job that I really hated, there were like days that I would just dress so schlubby because I could not get myself to care. And so I'd like to offer a blessing to anyone who's just working a job right now that you dread going to and is awful throughout the day. I'm sorry that you're going through that and a blessing to you. And I, I hope your circumstances change soon. What about you, Casper? My blessing is for a slightly unusual thing. It, I'm really touched by the painting of the fruit bowl, which Hermione tickles the green pair of, and that, that opens the secret door into the kitchens. I just think laughter as an entryway into new experiences, new friendships, new physical spaces. Like when you can share a joke with someone, people will open a door. Neville has a great moment of it in this chapter, right? When he's also laughing about being turned into a bird. That's right. He joins the laughter. Like it's a doorway into community. I always think of Archbishop Tutu's idea that we should laugh and cry every day if we want to be fully alive. And I, I love that this painting is always laughing as a door towards delicious goodies. <laughs> You've been listening to Harry Potter and the Sacred Text. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Leave us a review on iTunes or send us a voicemail. And of course, join our crowdfunder at harrypottersacredtext.com, clicking on the big orange button. We're so grateful. 
Next week, we will be joined by Gretchen Rubin from the podcast Happier, also on the Panoply Network, to read Chapter 22, The Unexpected Task, through the theme of happiness. This week's episode of Harry Potter and the Sacred Text was produced by Ariana Nettleman, Casper Turkyle, and me, Vanessa Zoltan. Our music is by Ivan Paisau and Nick Bull, and we are part of the Panoply Network. You can find ours and other great shows on panoply.fm. Thanks to Austin Buchholz for this week's voicemail, Rebecca and Charlie Ludley, Julia Argy, and of course, Stephanie Purcell. We'll see you all next week. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Ask, I seriously what? wanted to call you Hagrid, and then was like, that's not, <laughs> that's your, name. not your name. What's your name? <laughs> Percy. Casper, got it. <laughs> it took me a minute. Within the Wires is an immersive fiction podcast by Janina Mathewson and Nightdale co-creator Jeffrey Craner. Each season, we unfold a brand new story strictly via found audio from an alternate 20th century. Season 4, The Cradle, is a story about a mother and daughter as they attempt to lead a family-centric commune surviving on the fringes of society. Subscribe to Within the Wires at nightvalepresents.com or wherever you get your podcasts.